0: The Zookeeper's Boy is track number seven on Mew's fourth studio album and the glass-handed kites. It's produced by Michael Beinhorn and recorded at Michael's place Venice, California. In 2006 Mew released the Zookeeper's Boy EP which also featured Apocalypso, Special, Emma Rhino and Comforting Sounds. The single was released on the 17th of April 2006 featuring a radio edit of the song a new version of A Dark Design and China Berry Tree titled The Red Version, in addition to the music video for The Zookeeper's Boy. In 2005, The Zookeeper's Boy could also be found on the Danish version of the compilation album Now That's What I Call Music 14, alongside Rihanna, Gorillaz, Coldplay, Backstreet Boys and more. The other song featured in the title of this episode is Animals of Many Kinds, which can be found on the single for Special and a promo single for the Zookeeper's Boy. Animals of Many Kinds predates the Zookeeper's Boy, and they both share some lyrics and melodies. The Zookeeper's Boy is the third most liked song in our friendship survey, whilst Animals of Many Kinds was rated at number
1: 8. Hi, this is Jonas from Mew, and uh, you're listening to the Mew X Podcast. <laughs>
2: And we're back with season four of the MuX podcast. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi. We have some news. We've um, some of you might have noticed. We've already brought our dear friend Kier Martin onto the team.
3: Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's an honor.
2: Yeah, he's uh, obviously kind of stepping into the role that Heather had previously heather's had to take a bit of a, a break from the podcast um but hopefully she'll be be back joining us at some point in the future uh, so obviously until f- now we want to say thanks to heather and um welcome to Kier martin
3: yeah there's um some big shoes
2: to fill so i'll, I'll do my best and uh what about you two old timers Anne and Otva? how are you doing
4: it, considering everything that's gone on this last year, doing pretty good actually.
5: Yeah, feeling rusty though, sitting behind a microphone. But
4: yeah, yeah. it has yeah. been a while. I've, I've been doing podcasts for my job, so I'm at least, you know, in some sort of form. There, I've got all my tech still working and whatnot. So that's something.
2: Yeah, um, I've just recovered from a horrible throat infection, so Oof. we'll see how long my vo- <laughs> my voice lasts. This episode, we'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's great to be back. It feels like we've worked on this for ages, and now we're actually recording an episode. So yeah. um, we'll see how it goes. But let's uh, let's introduce our guest for this this episode. We've um, got someone special with us, and do you care to to introduce us?
4: Yeah, today we've got DJ Shannon, who is a former DJ from KEXP Seattle. And she was the person who introduced me to Mew and to this particular song. So welcome, Shannon.
6: (laughs) Thank you so much.
2: It's really nice having you on.
4: We've got a long history together, you know, over the many years. So um, this whole thing began when it's like 2007. And I was listening to um, Shannon's show. And she had a show that was late at night. And sometimes she would fill in for other DJs during the day. And I happened to hear the song The Zookeeper's Boy. I was like totally blown away by it. I was like, this is one of the coolest things I've ever heard. And I had to start researching Mew after that. And so I I started looking up Mew and the very first picture I ever saw of Jonas was Shannon standing next to Jonas after a show. And it was on the KEXP blog and she's talking about all this music that she likes. And then I I came to find out that she actually has excellent taste lists overall in music. So yeah, we, we've bonded over the many years over musical tastes. And, uh, I have been honored to be on her show two different times. Once in 2015, she had me come on and kind of just play a bunch of Mew songs and have a little chat. And then again, in 2017, Mew came through and did a guest DJ set. And I was there for that whole thing too, kind of just like assisting her in the booth, helping the guys find music and that sort of stuff. And, um, that's very same day uh, we had this like VIP session for Mew. So they come in in KXP's lobby and they played a set and Shannon was the MC for that. So if you watch the video there, that's her introducing Mew at the beginning.
6: Good evening. I'm DJ Shannon. You can catch me tonight at nine o'clock until one. I know a few of you know already that I'm one of the bigger Mew fans out there. I have uh, there's a number of us who have Mew tattoos so I um, can't say that's my only band tattoo. But anyway, please help me welcome Mew. And then a number of times,
4: like we, we've
6: we gotten together,
4: we, we hung out backstage at Numo's, we hung out on Mew's tour bus and everything. And uh, I got like such a deep appreciation for Mew through KEXP and through Shannon that at some point KEXP was going to move locations. So they were in a very small cramped building and they had gotten enough funding from the community to be able to move to a larger location. And part of the fundraising effort was to sell plaques that you could personalize and they put it up outside the building. And the one that I put up there was talk for Mew. So that, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So uh, yeah, it's so wonderful to have you here, Sh- Shannon. I, I, you know, have so much respect and admiration for you as a DJ and you're, Beautiful musical taste.
6: <laughs> well, that is a crazy journey. Um, that's one of my favorite things at KXP was just bringing new music to or new even bands that have been around for a while and expose you to these bands that normally you wouldn't hear on, you know, the average radio station.
4: Yeah, you've broken a lot of like bands over the years, like the first uh, play in the United States and that sort of thing.
6: Oh, Yes. Churches, Demos, um, Alt-J. Oh, yes. Editors, Arctic Monkeys, Demos. But I wasn't a DJ then. But um, Zookeeper's Boy was the first song I ever heard of Mew. My friend had told me about them. My friend Rhoda. Oh. She's always in telling me bands about drummers. You know, like this amazing drummer, you have to go see them. And this was one of the few shows that I just didn't research them at all. I didn't listen to any songs ahead of time. I just went into Numo's. This was back in 2006. Hmm. And they opened with Zookeeper's Boy. And I was just stood there like life just started when I heard that song. (laughs) Yeah. It was just, I don't know. I was sober, but I felt completely high. Yeah. I could never turn back fast for that moment. Mm. And definitely having the visuals in the background and then learning later on Mm. that Jonas created those visuals for the music. It was just a perfect match.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Like, how big of a show was that? Like, um, just to give uh, an image of of where this was and, like.
6: Is it 800 people at NUMOS? I think it maxes out at 500. Is it that small? Okay.
4: It is, yeah.
2: So, like a, a fairly small, like, okay, cool. And
4: that was before it was renovated, too. I don't know if the capacity has changed since then.
6: Well, and before the show, I went out for Thai food with one mm. of my English friends, we'll call him. Um, we were having <laughs> dinner, and I look over and I'm like, huh, I think that's the band. They look oh. Danish. <laughs> <laughs> and it was them, but mm. I didn't approach them because you know I didn't know what they looked like. Right, kind of random.
2: <laughs> it's just uh, there's some very Scandinavian-looking fellows over there, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not usual for this area. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, and we they, so... we
4: have a lot of Scandinavians here, but they're mostly hanging out by the boats. You know, they're fishermen.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was the first time you heard Mew. So. Where did you go from there? Like, <laughs> you, you just saw them uh, live playing Sue Boy.
6: I'm trying to think. I mean, I guess that's when the obsession came. That kicked in. And just trying to see them as many times as possible. And I mm-hmm. know when we were booking bands for South by Southwest, I told Cheryl about Mew, and um, she would always book the bands that I wanted. I'm like, I want <laughs> editors, The Rakes, uh, Mew trying to think who else we had peter bjorn and peter bjorn and john i can't even say their name but yeah i don't know it's hard to talk about them because they just it changed my life so much that within a year i was getting Mew tattoos <laughs> <laughs> oh,
5: wow so so you're actually uh you you kind of helped Mew break america anyway then i do i don't think so well Sounds like I, I think kind of you did, had right? a hand
4: in it. Well, I definitely Even got if it them. wasn't like a huge, huge thing, you definitely got them into our psyche here.
5: Yeah.
6: Yeah, just one of those bands that I play every show and then probably get yeah, told. Yeah, so
5: you definitely uh, made uh, <laughs> a lot of fringers, you know, in, in the Seattle area.
6: I hope so, yeah. And yeah. especially, got... that's all that matters. Yeah, It, it mm-hmm. like it got
4: to the point where I would just, in a, in a way, sort of troll Shannon. I would... Uh, Email her every single time she was on the air and tell her to play Mew. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Which I would anyway.
4: <laughs> I definitely Did you did know that each anyway. other
5: back then or were you just like a, a listener? And...
4: Well, I was a listener and then like I'd see her out at all, pretty much every show I went to because we have very similar tastes in music. And so yeah, yeah. we like compared tattoos and suddenly we're friends. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was pretty okay. easy. Yeah. It's all about the
6: tattoos.
2: I think it's pretty amazing that like, um, because we're obviously, we're talking about Suekeeper Spore, and, and you had that experience with Suekeeper Spore that, like, it, it got you f- phonetic, basically, Um, both you and N. Mm-hmm. I know, uh, for that matter. Cr- that's crazy.
6: That is like, if you're going to introduce anyone to Mew, I think that is the song. Yeah. At least in I, my I, opinion. Yeah. I think, hands down,
4: it, it has to be.
2: Mm hmm i think there's a lot of people that have, feel the same way about this particular song right it's um it, it has a bit of a special history uh, around it and like it is really unique sounding so it's hard not to to form some sort of opinion on it and it's I, i've not really heard anyone had bad things to say about it in any way so it, it always leaves a good impression basically right it's um it's just really cool to hear like so you were bitten so hard by the bug from from Zookeeper's Boy. Like, I love it. I love it.
6: And those... I don't know. I, I really love those moments where you bring a friend to a show who doesn't know anything about a band, including my friend who I brought that night. I didn't know the band, and he didn't. And we just walked mm-hmm. out of there with our mouth open. Like, <laughs> what did we just see? <laughs> did mm. we just hear?
2: I mean, yeah... I, and they opened with sukeeper's boy i feel like i have the same memory of um, of sitting at a show with with a friend who hadn't seen them before and like was only vaguely uh, aware of them and then sukeeper's boy coming on and like there's suddenly like this scary ghost giraffe moving across the wall behind them or something like that and, you know, and she turned to me like thomas this is really freaky and I'm <laughs> like yeah it's great isn't it <laughs> <laughs> it's great yeah. and that was also one of the opening songs and like yeah I mean, yeah, it leaves an impression. I'm I'm loving it. It's bringing back a lot of. It's getting the conversation started here in a great way. I th- feel like because uh, it's getting a lot of like a lot of thoughts running from myself at least. But uh, Michelle, how how long have you were you at uh, KXP?
6: I was the morning show assistant for three and a half years, and became a DJ about three years into that. So I was a DJ there for fourteen and a half years just left in end of 2019
2: so fairly recently
6: yeah it feels like just i didn't really have closure because i just kind of left an email
2: Mm. i moved
6: away Mm. from seattle i moved an hour away to escape the craziness
4: yeah okay i'm i'm vaguely jealous of that because it is still crazy here and you get to live on a beautiful island and have a nice property with a big back backyard and just oh, have a nice place for mountains. your son to grow up And like i i think that's
6: awesome it is mm-hmm. yeah i'm super thankful i and i don't miss seattle at all but i miss <laughs> seeing bands at kxp yeah mm-hmm used to be my lunch break sometimes it's like i'm gonna go see a band i'll be right back oh
5: man <laughs> that's, so that's such a dream job yeah yeah it well
4: was. The, they had these vip concerts and they would often be like in the afternoon so you could take like a two-hour break from work go see a band and then go back to work again like it was pretty cool i used to do that too
5: <laughs> wow
4: and they they book like really good bands for those um sessions like Mew was one of them. That's the one that I was describing earlier. We've seen like the Twilight Sad. That one was so cool. <laughs> That's oh, the God, one I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys know the Twilight Sad? They're they a Scottish
6: band. I don't know if you're
4: aware yeah.
3: of them. Yeah, I know I've them. Never heard
5: of them. Oh, they're so good. Uh,
6: that was the first band to ever stay at my house.
5: <laughs> oh.
6: hmm. It was my birthday and they played the crocodile
4: did you break them or in, in no. on KXP or did somebody else do that?
6: No, I heard them on KXP. Okay, okay, but then we were promised jetbacks, mm-hmm. Um Got them played on KXP and then signed a fat cat because of the exposure on KXP. Mm. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, KXP is such a great vehicle for getting indie
3: artists it exposure. <laughs> Whenever I discover a new band, I usually Google um, or YouTube um, some kind of session from KEXP, mm-hmm. uh, like mm-hmm. almost immediately.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, always.
2: Uh, so, like, how many times have you seen Mew at at this point? Holy cow.
6: I like,
2: like in just a standalone show, I'm thinking.
6: I don't think I've counted. Too many to count. Maybe 15. Yeah, she's up there. <laughs>
4: mm
2: hmm. So you you're very familiar with with their sets at this point. Oh I yes imagine.
6: I don't recommend Good. it when um, at least for me, I have a lot of anxiety and I one time I saw him in Portland and I had smoked some really strong weed <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was freaking out. So I couldn't really enjoy the show.
4: Uh. it's so much stimulation. It was horrible. <laughs> I, I did that one time when I saw Animal Collective and I have regretted it ever since. I never ever tried it again. Yeah, I will never do that. It's just too overwhelming.
6: Yeah. Yeah, it's way too much. But I, I I will remember that moment forever just seeing them for the first time. Mm. I you know how so many shows you just you forget about them. Yeah. yeah. And that moment when I first saw them is captured on video. And that is an old YouTube video I have on there. It's not the best quality. That's awesome. I wasn't watching the show through my camera. I actually had it to the side. Uh So Mm -hmm. I wasn't distracted. But that memory is saved. I have a very
4: similar memory of seeing them for the first time because I was like, this is going to be a very sacred experience. And I know it ahead of time. It's going to be. And so I recorded um, special in Zookeeper's Boy... Like, off the side of my camera, because I was watching it, and I was like, I don't want to be out of the moment, because exactly. I want to be in this moment, yeah. and I I couldn't have it any other way. Like, it it was this sacred experience I was expecting, and blown away. Absolutely yeah. blown away.
2: I oh, can't wait to have that feeling of, like, seeing a live show again.
7: Yeah. yeah yeah
2: there's something so special about just standing there and the instruments there and then when once they start p- being punched yeah there's a whole different feel to the music than there is when when you're just listening to headphones yeah regardless of how fancy these headphones are
4: you feel it <laughs> in your body in a way that you just can't when you're listening to it through headphones or just your normal speakers it just yeah. you, it's a whole body experience it's out of body. Yeah,
2: I think that's yeah, 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 That's where we all are at the moment, isn't it? We're all stuck in this. Come on, we want this over with mm-hmm. now. Yeah. It feels so close now compared to where we were just last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah not long now
5: until they hopefully start touring again.
3: Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. So,
5: yeah can't wait.
2: Are you going to see any of these uh, coming shows? Which ones? <laughs> the um, the kites uh, kites shows. Tour. I guess uh, America has kind of been canceled. Yeah,
4: we're 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 not as available to see them. Like we we could go to Europe, I suppose, if that's still gonna happen.
5: Yeah, uh,
6: but we don't have any U.S. shows. I can't keep up with the rescheduled shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many. I all the tickets I have for shows are in Scotland or in England. <laughs> and they've yeah. been rescheduled mm. so many times. I can't. I don't even know. I have to put them on my calendar. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, right now it's in August, September. So if oh, you're uh, uh, able plan... to come to yes. Europe, and then... Yes,
6: yes, Okay, that's good I to think,
5: know. Uh, yeah, I think mm-hmm. London is uh, September 9th. Or, no, wait, 4th? 4th, yeah, 4th. Oh. Yeah. what? Yeah. How did I, I not know this? I'm, well, it's hard to keep up, as I say. It yeah, I,
4: I also can't keep up.
6: <laughs> I have yeah. a show on the 3rd in... Um, I think it's in London, Ooh. or Brighton. I think it's singing Idols. Oh, nice! Huh. Or is it? No, it's Wide Awake Festival. So you'll be in the area at least. Yeah, I'm. I'm still trying to plan it out. Yeah, it's Wide Awake.
2: What about you guys? What's your um? We kind of know Anne and um and Shannon now. Like their introduction to the song. What's What's your take on the song? Like when's the first time you guys heard it, Kieran Ottawa
3: Um, I think the first time I heard it it wasn't in the context of the full album, like I heard it on its own Um, but I remember when I heard it for the first time in sequence with, you know, Fox Cub to Apocalypso, Special and then Zookeeper's Boy I remember that being a really grand experience Mm. Uh, it's like the song is like larger than life, it's like huge and so it kind of culminates uh with those yeah it's amazing it was it's still one of my favorite songs by mew without a doubt um it's so interesting on a technical level and there's just so much going on and it kind of blew my mind at the time because i was still quite young um so yeah I, yeah it was definitely I, I can't remember what year it was it must have been like now can't remember i was about 13 though if i recall
5: (laughs) okay i think i listened to the song for the first time when i listened to the album when i i bought the album and listened to it front to back and just remember being blown away by the chorus opening the song and yeah i think it was like an immediate favorite song almost like i probably wouldn't rank it as my like top five favorite or anything but it's still like one of my favorites because it's just such a big song and i've always loved it a lot just seeing it live was the first time seeing it seeing them in 2005 seeing them playing it oh that was such a great experience i wish i could go back to those days those kite the kites tour
2: where did you see them in 2005 playing it that was in oslo was that okay in oslo and like late was that a festival show or no
5: it was a Rockefeller, so indoor show it was like maybe a thousand people or something i remember meeting was them on? after the show as well i think i've told the story before
2: but yeah yeah so that was later in the year wasn't it
5: yeah i think it was october so that i think it was like the month after the, the album was released so it was like brand new and i was just like obsessively listening to the album and seeing them with a friend of mine who's a big fan as
2: well it was just so great yeah because um for me i remember all the way back to to early 2005 anticipating new music from you and um i remember in that summer uh, hearing for the first time a bootleg of their um show where they obviously premiered a lot of the songs on the upcoming album coming out later that year yeah and um Zookeeper was one of those songs that really stuck out because it, it was such an odd tune and I feel like you could even hear it in the bootleg like the the audience didn't really know what to to expect with it um yet it seemed to be the song everyone was talking about like or chatting about online and such that that zookeeper was uh, was a bit of a, an odd one mm-hmm. and like I don't think I was such a an active fan at that point, but obviously I was still scouring out uh, songs because I was really anticipating the follow-up to Fringers back then, and um, yeah, I was I was hooked on that uh, like just the beat of it, which is the most audible thing on like a, a live bootleg is that beat that that goes on right the the bass playing mm. in such a live live yeah. setting, um, and then obviously the chorus being very iconic so it's um yeah it's, I, I, that's where i heard it the first time and how i i approached it and i, th- I thought it was funny when um it's not funny but like interesting when when you shannon mentioned that like that first time hearing zookeeper and like being mesmerized by it i think i think that's kind of what happened there It's like that song is mesmerizing in in some way, even when it's like a bootleg version. Um,
4: (laughs) That's really saying something, though, like if a bootleg can transport you in that sort of way into that magical realm, like that is special because, you know, it, it loses so much of its quality in a bootleg, but there's just something about it that transcends. I remember being all that. weirded
2: out when I heard the actual song. Like, does guitar really sound like that? What? <laughs> like the, the when the whole <laughs> beat was like not as intense and yeah. suddenly it's much more mm-hmm. guitar driven. Right. Yeah. Much more choir. It's like that that Broke my brain a bit. I remember like, is that how the song sounds <laughs> crazy? Yeah, I remember um, that as
5: well, listening to it. Like the guitar sound was so different from anything I've heard. I I couldn't really, like, it was so cool sounding. It was so gritty. It sounds very beautiful. You know, the contrast with the, the big chorus and the gritty <laughs> guitar. I just yeah. loved it.
2: Listening to that and then listening to the 2009 recording of it, from also Roskilde Festival, the same stage essentially, and now the, the difference in audience participation was like mm. night and day right? Yeah, never heard before a song no one knows what to do with it and then in 2009 you, you almost cannot not hear the crowd just sing along, especially on the chorus where it's, it's almost drowning um, and then knowing like I was in that crowd in 2009 at least, I wasn't in the 2005 so like that's that's kinda of my relationship to that song, is the uh, it's that opening moment. I, I, since then it's just kinda of become like uh it's one of those stable songs that's played all the time, so I'm I'm I never really pay attention to it. I'm always seeking the the unique one or the yeah. the one they never play or mm. the new one or you know Yeah. And and now I'm like going back and almost reliving like, oh yeah, that's that's what was so wonderful about zookeeper's boy when uh, when you started talking about it shannon so i'm like oh yeah that's why we're doing this show this <laughs> episode here
1: inside, nice low, I can breathe, as it so
2: we just heard a little snippet of the radio edit of the song here um, it obviously doesn't sound that much different, but has a few few quirks to it that you aren't you might not be used to if um, if you only listen to the album version. So there you go. Uh, but another version that's quite popular, and I think uh, pretty much all of us are familiar with, is the Livingston version. I believe it was released on the fourteenth of April as a digital download alongside a single. Is that right? Something like that.
6: It's my birthday. What, really? Ooh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> nice.
2: There you go.
5: Yeah, I don't know. Was it on a single? Did it just as a digital download. I don't know if it was accompanied by another song or something.
4: It's on its, on its own um, Like release. It was a digital download, and you could also get like a sleeve made for it, but you'd have to like burn your own copy of the CD. Oh, yeah.
5: really? Mm-hmm.
4: And I I lucked out because one of my friends in Denmark had a copy of that sleeve and she just gave it to me when I went over there. Okay. She also had like a copy of that um, misprinted version of Eggs Are Funny that had only Johan on it. And she also gave that to me. I was like, you're you're just spoiling me. (laughs) Yeah.
2: We also have the uh, the deluxe edition uh, of plus minus obviously featured a, a live version of the song on that bonus disc oh yeah
4: so i have a little little story about that particular version so that was played at um their copenhagen show in 2014 when they were doing the sort of like scandinavian tour the nordic tour there and i had managed to get right up in front um right in front of Jonas's feet so i was right in front of him the whole time he was performing and when he finished that song like the very last note of that song he was looking directly into my eyes and i was like i felt like my soul was being electrocuted i was like oh this is the most powerful experience ever and yeah i could not believe it and that whole thing was recorded um like the audio is recorded but they also did video recording and they didn't actually end up doing anything with the video um but they had intended i think to release it somehow and then they just didn't but it is okay. immortalized on that uh, extra cd in the deluxe edition of plus minus but now i got that to remember forever that that very moment having that note that note was kind of like for me in a way <laughs> i felt really special and that was cool
2: Furthermore, like Sookiebers Boy has been used in multiple medleys. And these are in, in live settings, obviously. Where um, And for that matter, they've, they've used it everywhere. Uh, it's one of the most popular, most recognizable hooks they've ever written, I guess. Um, they've played it several times between like 2013 and 2015, uh, where they mixed it with songs like uh, Cling to a Bad Dream and The Seething Rain do you remember that version of it yeah oh yeah beautiful Have the Sasha remix
3: yeah that's an interesting one
2: so that's obviously one of those remixes that uh, there are so many by this point Yeah, various it, songs this
5: was released on a, as a single I think uh, I, I think... like
3: how the guitar rift is really in focus on that remix
4: it totally changes the the vibe of the song though like it's very very different oh yeah
5: definitely yeah it doesn't fit to my ears but i guess it gives uh, you a different audience as well
4: yeah that's true
0: We also have a very interesting version of the Zookeeper's Boy at the end here. A person that goes by the
2: username ihogapples on YouTube created an 8-bit version of the song back in 2013.
0: Unfortunately, we had to say goodbye to Shannon here, as she had to get back to her family.
2: Uh, and our recording was uh, getting long. But thank you, Shannon, for joining us and uh, sharing your stories with us. We hope to have you back soon on a on a later episode. Uh, so let's talk a bit about the origins of the Zookeeper's Boy, because Oddva, you you came across this article, didn't you, about how the song came into to be. Can, can you tell us a bit about that?
5: Yeah, I've also heard Jonas talking about it before, but there are two uh, main things that made the song, apparently. It was one, uh, like a melody that they had, on, I think, on bass or something, that was played backwards, and that turned into the chorus, I believe, right? Yeah. yeah. It was just supposed to be a, an outro for special, but when they were in the studio with Michael Beinhorn to record the album he thought it deserved more. It deserved to be a full song because he really loved the melody of it. So that's how, you know, we could thank Michael Beinhorn for making the Zucopus Boy and turning it into a, a whole song. So that's quite interesting how, you know, they work out stuff in the studio. And, and you know, it's one of the, their biggest songs, so we can, that's because of Michael Beinhorn.
4: Yeah, it's kind of crazy how something that was just kind of meant to be a filler like to transition from one thing to another became one of their most popular things ever. Like that's kind of crazy how that worked.
5: Yeah, and I mean, we're also gonna cover Animals of Many Kinds later on in the episode. And it's parts from that song as well in here. It was supposed to be on a children's album that never mounted to do anything. So he included some of the lyrics in here because it fit into the CQS Boy
3: song so yeah you mentioned that it was like a bass riff that johan had written yeah and then there was a melody whistled on top of it by jonas jonas and then when they um reversed it which they do so much um they kind of got new a new chord progression and like melody from it which they thought had a lot of potential
2: so the whole are you my lady are you was actually p- supposed to be the ending of special is basically what the article saying right yeah and when when michael heard it he's like no 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 well, that needs to be its own chorus in a song so you need to write a new song
5: but it would be interesting to hear if i don't think they have a version of it but just hear the version of special ending with that chorus mm. to see how how it sounded but I yeah. don't think they actually m- made
3: it. I don't know. It might just be interesting to reverse the chorus yeah. in of itself <laughs> and hear what that sounds like. Like,
5: yeah, he- I think I'd, I've done that, but I'd, it didn't. It definitely sounded better reversed than yeah. the other way around. <laughs> well, they've so, obviously
4: you know worked it in such a way that it sounds good forwards. Like, yeah. from being reversed, but it, I, I would definitely like to hear what the like, raw material sounded like that they were working with and how they came to that decision that it sounded better the other way around.
5: Yeah.
3: Definitely.
2: It was interesting to see because it wouldn't have been the first time either that they would write like a little ending part to a song in the same way that like my complications has one Mm -hmm. or um Mm -hmm. sometimes life isn't easy has a little part and like Mm -hmm. they they clinging to a bad dream has a little part at the end right so it's it's funny to think of special that really tight little pop song having like a little funky part at the end (laughs) yeah sing are you my lady and um but then, obviously, that never happened. It became the full mm. uh, monstrosity that is our song here, "Suki's <laughs> Boy." And mm-hmm. Like, yeah,
3: there's an outro in her voice is beyond her years as well. The, the original version, I think.
5: Yeah, that's right. The quite like piano bit of Fiona singing. Very... Oh,
3: what about Commodore 64? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What song was that attached to? I can't remember now.
5: That was... Wherever. Wherever, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you also have, uh, obviously, In A Better Place. You have that uh, oh, yeah. jazzy mm-hmm. outro bit. Yep.
2: But yeah, now it makes sense that they've been playing around with these medleys and uh, the suitkeepers yeah. rift, mm-hmm. the, the chorus there because it was never meant to be its own song. It seems like until Michael yeah. made them make one and then it just turns out to be one of the most popular songs they've written yeah yeah that's 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 <laughs> funny I, di- I, I, I didn't know that then um, so thanks for thanks for that discovery um yeah Odva. that's really cool uh, music video directed by sam brown the same guy who also directed comforting sounds Oh yeah do you have any special feelings or thoughts on this video
3: I've always found, like, I could tell it was directed by the same person because of the colour pattern. Yeah. I always found it yeah, quite... Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> it's got a visual identity, yeah. his work,
2: which yeah. I like. We talked a bit about it on the uh, Kites episode, but just, d- would any of you try and explain it, just what what how the video looks and plays?
4: So in the video, we have the band performing in a sort of darkened space, and there are... F- a very few lights around them and it's very dramatic lighting. And in the background, there is a large, like, I don't know, like a curtain that um, there's a painting on, like a reproduction of a painting. And the painting is called the death of major Pearson, 6th of January, 1781 by John Singleton Copley. And this is supposed to be like uh, France invaded the island of Jersey and a young commander who is pictured here organized a counterattack and was killed during the battle and so that's that's what we're seeing is like this death scene and it's not exactly historically accurate because things aren't um, lining up with exactly how it played out but it's kind of like they're taking liberties. So anyway, it's just the band playing in front of this painting, and mostly it's focused on Jonas like looking up into the heavens. he's looking up at the sky a lot and kind of gesturing to the sky so that's that's the majority of what we're seeing in the video
2: to me, it always feels a bit um second thought like second hand mm-hmm. not what's what's the word for it?
5: I mean, yeah, it was less probably on a small budget. Yeah, uh, it's
4: probably just what they had available to them and they had to make something that would look nice. And so let's just put these things yeah. together. They don't perfectly fit, but it looks cool. So let's do it. Yeah. So
2: I don't know how true this is. But as I said, back in 2005, when they played the song for the first time, that bootleg version, that song became very popular. I don't know if it's something I read somewhere back then, like in Danish press or whatever, but Suekeeper's Boy was not meant to be a single. That's how I've always kind of known the story. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, it was an accident that that song became as popular as it did, and hence they picked it up as... A single down the line and decide maybe we should also release that I think even on my my print of the CD has kind of the you know these singles are on this CD right like it has that sort of sticker on it and Apocalypso is one of them and Special is one of them I don't think Suitkeeper's Boy is even mentioned so and obviously I have got the CD when it was first released right so in, in that early batch
5: yeah I think it was released as a single the year after maybe I'm not sure let me check that.
2: Yeah, at least that's that's my theory. I, I really want to ask about it if I get a chance one day like is was the, how was it that Zookeepers ended up being a single mm-hmm. and was it meant to be from the start? Cuz when I see the video, it it does like compared to something like special that has such a mm-hmm. in like such a detailed video with so many effects and things going on and planning going into it, and mm-hmm. then seeing Zookeeper after knowing Zookeeper is just as popular in many ways, and then yeah, it's just kind of given this sort of performance. Let's just record them perform in front of a on a stage, right? It's such a yeah.
4: I got that same impression like when I. Like I was saying earlier, this was the first song of theirs I ever heard. And then when I saw the video, I was like, oh, that's a little underwhelming. I was expecting something way more, like, grandiose.
5: Yeah. It was released as a single in April 2006. So it was definitely released a while after the album release.
4: But yeah, um, to your point, um, Advar, about... Like, the backdrop video with all the animated animals and, like, when they go in the rounds and all the animals are singing along with them, like, that sort of, like, animal world, that's the kind of thing I was, like, feeling when I, you know, listen to the song. Like, it's got that vibe about it. It's just perfect for it. And this other music video just doesn't have that quality to it.
2: It's interesting you say that as well, because obviously comforting sounds were a huge hit for them at that mm-hmm. point. And, um, and now you say like this song that he's singing about all the animals, mm-hmm. you you can, yeah, as you say, imagine them playing along. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Th- that's obviously a big part of the attraction at this point.
4: Um, I don't know exactly how intentional this is, or if it's just kind of like nature of how they developed as a band but I, I associate them with animals like I just always have and I have a deep love for animals I have so many furry critters around me and to see them kind of like integrating the animals into their music their their visual style and even kind of the name of the band Mew like kitty making it yeah. sound like it's it's got this sort of like sweet and cute aspect to it you know with mm-hmm. with the duality of it also being kind of horrifying and scary <laughs>
2: Fluffy and dusty and bites. <laughs> Kier, do you want to start us off with your little analysis of the song before we um, we start digging into the actual lyrics of it? And uh, yeah, I go mean, go deeper from there.
3: So this song is huge. I mean, I think everyone knows that. There's so much going on with this song but the album as a whole and how everything kind of layers into one another. I think the one distinctive thing that everyone knows about this song is the use of harmony so especially towards the end uh, where you know the lyrics are my lady are you and it's being repeated over and over you've got this like white kind of panning thing going on in your ears so you're getting all these voices coming through at different points and it's it work. It's in every single version of the song. It's such a distinctive element of it. Um, I I can't even like put my finger on how many vocal takes there are and how many voices there are singing together. But it's so huge, and I don't know. I think that's one of the words you can use is beautiful. Uh, the way it f- fades into these vocal harmonies, um, but yeah, I think it adds a lot of texture to the songs. Um, a lot of layers throughout. The whole thing basically, um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like instrumentation as well, you've got the bass, which is really, really, really heavy at the beginning, alongside Bo's guitar, which <laughs> the word I like to use for it is filthy because it's got <laughs> kind of like a jagged sound to it at the the beginning. Um, I don't even remember what guitar he's using for the actual track, but I mean, I've seen him do this with a Jaguar, I've seen him do it with a Telecaster, uh, but. The thing i can say about this song is like it's you know i know you don't really like the label very much but it's very progressive mm-hmm. um in the fact that there's so much going on i mean the <laughs> chorus is so powerful and ethereal you got the bass drum in the chorus um it's impossible basically not to feel the rhythm when you're listening to the song um but if we're going even deeper with like the technical an- analysis like that's something even i i i can't really speak too much about because You know, in terms of, like, key changes and stuff like that, it's basically impossible for someone like me to kind of pick them (laughs) out, if I'm completely honest. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, this song has so many moving parts, and it's so huge, but it's like a technical triumph, as far as I can see. It's basically perfect (laughs) for my ears. Yeah,
2: that's the very noticeable part about this song, I feel like. Mm. Yeah. Besides, like, the crunchy guitar and the the beat... It's the the layering of all those those vocals or oh, well, so yeah. I wrote like, like the choir of Jonas. Yeah, it's yeah. like uh, that. That's what what's in the song essentially.
4: And it is very unusual to hear a pop song that has like rounds. You know, it's being sung in rounds, like row 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 your boat or whatever. Yeah, like you just have these things that are repeated, but they're like offset. I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. like the right way to say it but where one person starts one line and then the next person starts the next line like a little bit later and then they just keep repeating and repeating and repeating like Mm. on the recording it's all Jonas obviously but when it's sung in the live setting all of the guys get involved in it and yeah it's just amazing to hear it come out and sound that rich and deep and full and just beautiful.
3: I think harmony is, like, one of those things in music that is what makes something sound so beautiful. But, like, harmony is used throughout the song, like, not just in the vocals, it's, like, in the instrumentation as well. And it's it's really, yeah, great.
5: <laughs> yeah, and they they also, also sing, like, different parts in a chorus, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. So that they don't sing the same things. So it's, it's very interesting to try to figure out what they're actually singing, like, what's what's Johan singing, what's Jonah singing, what's uh, Nick singing, you know, I think it's those three that sing live. Um, there are different versions. I think there's one version that I listened to recently that you can hear it pretty well what they're actually singing. All right. The Daytona session from 2009, I think that yeah. you can hear it pretty well what they're singing at the end. Uh, it's really cool.
4: It was always a challenge for me to try to like look at the lyrics and then try to pick out what they're actually saying because they're so like enmeshed with each other, yeah, on the
5: recording, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I just yeah, I just love that the thing one of them sings the Cars remain another one sings in Cars remade mm-hmm. and like yeah, there's slight differences in the lyrics and, and the rain, the rain is falling down, um. Working half the time and looking fine. I don't think I've ever heard that one. That one is hard part. to hear. That one is very yeah. hard to hear. <laughs>
4: lady are you are you my lady are you if i don't make it back from the city then it is only because i am drawn away for you see evidently there's a dark storm come and the chain on my swing is squeaking like a mouse so are you my lady are you are you my lady are you the rain the rain The rain is falling down. The cars remain. You're tall, just like a giraffe. You have to climb to find its head. But if there's a glitch, you're an ostrich. You've got your head in the sand. In a submersible, I can hardly breathe. As it takes me inside, so the light sings. Answer me truthfully. Do the clouds kiss you? With meringue-colored hair, I know they cannot. So are you, my lady, are you? Are you, my lady, are you? The rain, the rain, the rain is falling down. The cars remain. Santa Ana winds bring seasickness. Zookeeper, hear me out. How dare you go, cold in the rain? Tall, just like a giraffe, you have to climb to find its head. But if there's a glitch, you're an ostrich. You've got your head in the sand. Are you, my lady? Are you? Are you, my lady? Are you? The rain, the rain, the rain is falling down. The cars remain. I could not be seen with you, working half the time and looking fine. In cars remade.
2: So what's going on here? Who's the zookeeper's boy?
5: Yeah, I've always wondered that. Because he, he sings to the zookeeper, but not the zookeeper's boy, right? He sings, he zookeeper, hear me out. Isn't that what he's singing?
4: Yep. It sounds very much like the narrator of the song is the zookeeper's boy. Like, right. So let's talk about what a zookeeper is, first of all. So... A zookeeper is a person who is responsible for the care of caged or trapped wild animals, usually in a zoo setting. So they're um, taking care of these animals that would normally be like either predators or prey out in the wild. And they're they're trying to, to basically domesticate them in a way that they can be around people, but from behind bars. So this person has a lot of responsibility. They have to have lots of education and experience and Uh, They are generally not very well paid, but they have a really cool job because they get to take care of animals. It's usually an animal lover that would become a zookeeper. From the perspective of the zookeeper's boy, who I read as being the narrator of the song, he's speaking to a zookeeper who is this object of his affection, this woman who seems to be kind of out of his reach. Because he, like, even in the music video, he's, like, looking up to the sky at something that he can't actually touch, And there's a lot of lyrics that talk about this woman being above him. So there's the clouds kiss you. um, And she has this sort of thing like white blonde hair or like meringue colored hair that would be like very, very pure. Um, And the rain is not actually touching her. The rain does not fall on her. So she's like untouchable. She's up there on a pedestal for him. And... this boy is like asking this repeated question. Are you my lady? He is just totally not sure about it. He has so much uncertainty and there's so much repetition. Like he has to ask this question over and over and over and over again. And it's something that is bothering him. So the lyric that is um, like the chain on my swing is squeaking like a mouse. He's finally like deciding that there's something about this, like potential relationship that's really bothering him and he's not attending to it. So like you have a squeaky chain, you're going to like get some, um, WD 40 or, you know, whatever they call it in, in the part of the world that you live in to make that stop squeaking because it's really annoying. So you got to attend to something that has that irritant. And he's got this feeling of like restlessness and preoccupation and distraction. He's not sure if he's going to come back from where he's going, but he's just feeling restless. And the visual of the cars remaining, cars are objects that are meant to be transportation. They're meant to be in motion, but they're at a standstill. So it's sort of like a metaphor for a relationship that is going nowhere. It's like stopped. There's there's no motion. Um, and then there's like all of these animal metaphors. So you have the giraffe, right? The giraffe is tall, out of your reach. You have to climb to get up there like that's that's way out of your reach and this woman is also being compared to an ostrich who buries its head in the sand generally like the the myth is to hide from predators or get away from some kind of like uncomfortable situation but that is just a myth because if they actually did that they would be killed it's it's like the the visual of them putting their head in the sand is really because they bury their eggs and holes in the ground and they're just like making sure that the eggs are okay, not like overheating or like that their their little babies are safe. So it's it's a caring um, sort of action. It's not what it's portrayed as in like all of our media. Um, so like. The ostrich visual is her just ignoring this situation. She's not interested in him or whatever, and she doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Then there's like all of this um, metaphorical speech about submersibles. So a submersible is a type of craft that goes underwater. It's like not exactly um, a submarine, but it's something like that, a a sort of vehicle that can go underwater underwater. Um, He's feeling smothered or like he can't breathe inside there. So he's that's another feeling of being trapped and not being able to reach her. And then there's mention of the location. So Santa Ana is mentioned as the location. Santa Ana winds bring seasickness. And Santa Ana is um, part of uh, the L.A. metropolitan area. And it's very, you know, nearby where they recorded this song and this album. So they they probably like felt a lot of like, we, we've we heard them talk about how they were at a weird place in their lives when they were recording this and things were, you know, uncertain and tumultuous and everything. And this idea of the Santa Ana winds, which are like really, really strong dry winds that, um you know, come from like dry high pressure areas that come down and uh, and get, come into the Santa er- Santa Ana area um and they they probably felt that that sort of like seasick feeling from just the upheaval of their what they were going through in their lives at the time um and that that kind of they they bring this up a lot in their music like this idea of being seasick or carsick just kind of like this motion sick feeling and everybody knows what that feels like it's just like Ugh, there's this feeling of ickiness um they have it in like new terrain they have it in a dark design you know new terrain is wild and young we got seasick dark design is i feel so car sick and alone it's just this feeling of ickiness like ugh, gross
2: um
4: and there's like also this
2: sense that they're like could be a sense mes- metaphor for like career at that point that Mm -hmm. they've now been put in this vehicle to just Mm -hmm. go
4: Um, and there's also the metaphor of the rain like that is cold depressing um, sad and he is feeling the narrator feels this very much and he doesn't want like his object of his affection to feel that way he also doesn't feel like he's good enough for her he says I could not be seen with you working half the time and looking fine he just he's not feeling like he's deserving of her but he wants her anyway uh and the very last line is in cars remade so i read that as being the cars no longer are stuck he's made some kind of decision that he actually can't be with this person so he's just going to try to reinvent himself and move on with his life because it's an unhealthy relationship to want somebody who is out of your reach and who has no interest in you like that's that's bad bad stuff um and i think most people have had some kind of uh relationship or potential relationship interest like that where they're you know interested in somebody that's out of their league or just is not interested in them and unrequited love sucks so moving on from that is beautiful it's something that after you have this tumultuous uh repetition of chorus going over and over and over finally there's a resolution and it's getting out of the situation (laughs) um and i guess that's really how i read it is just it's a situation where this person is trying to figure out is this relationship happening or should i move on and it's the person figuring it all out and then making a decision
3: yeah i really like your read on it to be honest like i've never thought of it that way but that makes a lot of sense to me
5: <laughs> i've actually written almost the exact same thing as you said and perfect just yeah i have the same analysis i don't need to add anything i don't think
2: yeah see i don't trust any any there's any story here at all now i think it's very literal and um You know me at this point, like I'm... uh, (laughs)
5: Yeah, you always have second thoughts about things.
2: (laughs) (laughs) First of all, we've already now learned that this song is a (laughs) Frankensteinian monster (laughs) of um, weird side projects, weird ideas turned back and they were being forced by the producer, who I believe lives in uh, around, probably around Santa area, Santa Ana area? Yeah, it's I Venice
4: Venice so, is in LA area, so it's definitely, yes. yeah. So yeah. so
2: I imagine there's more to, to that than there is to anything else in the song. Um, obviously... With a line like, are you my lady, are you? It, 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 that's what people hang on to. And obviously that's what mm-hmm. shapes the rest of the song. Um, but for me, what's what I've especially highlighted now in the document is like those are the interesting sections of text to me. And the fact that you point out that the Santa Ana wins is specifically... The, the gray, windy days of uh, the beaches uh, at, in L.A. Um, it kind of makes me think of something like a different story, like being submerged in these, this vehicle of, of being chained to this task of writing music is, is kind of what I, I start seeing in it. If I don't make it back from the city of LA, then it's only because I'm drawn away for work, So mm-hmm. you see eminently there's a dark storm come and the chain on my swing is squeaking like a mouse like the chain is squeaking, right, because when you pull on it, it makes a noise um, in a submersib- submersible, I can hardly breathe, that's a very claustrophobic line to me Mm-hmm. Like the idea of being in a like in a, in a space suit or in a in a driving drivers. I don't know. Have any of you ever dip, dived, gone diving? No,
1: Mm-mm. nope. Oh, nope.
2: Okay. I personally haven't either. But I imagine that feeling of being locked into a like enclosed system. Uh, I, I don't think I'd enjoy it now. I think I'd, I'd oh, get hit either. by claustrophobia <laughs> in the same way. Mm-hmm. and even though it's submersible, i I'll probably still find it hard to breathe. Um, I, I ne- I'll never guess what meringue-colored marine hair is a reference to, but I, I get more that sense of dread uh, in the song. And I've always wondered like what the, the play was between that colorful chorus and um, that those dark lyrics, because it never made sense to me. But I feel like the the just knowing how the song was made and how it came into be makes makes it for me. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a different way to read it.
4: Yeah, I love hearing that perspective on it because I think it's totally legitimate.
2: Yeah, I yeah, think the I animals totally part agree. is just a cute add on. Honestly, I don't think there's much <laughs> to it. Well, uh, it's
4: taken basically from the other song. They just copy yeah. pasted. <laughs>
2: Exactly, and it's so memorable. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I kind of prefer the the Animals of Many Kinds version because they make a new chorus on the second go. Um, I don't know if we want to go into that right now, but, oh, yeah, we have it here. Hang on, tall, I got your graph. Uh, four, is it this one? Four bright red pairs of eyes. It dances to hypnotize. It eats mice, you know. It needs them to grow. It's a tarantula. Like, <laughs> I I love that other line. Like, uh, why not take yeah. that into Suekeeper? Th- did they try, I wonder? Did they have a demo of that? That would have been cool. Um, I don't think the song's anything particular other than, like, ugh, uh, Maroon 5's uh, I Find It Harder to Breathe is uh, what I'm thinking of, if you remember that <laughs> really? song. Wow. i think they said maroon 5 went out and said that yeah the the producers wanted us to make one more song one more hit song for the the album and they made harder to breathe uh on that debut album of theirs um okay. based on on the feeling of having to perform and make another song
1: mm.
5: yeah it's like what Jonas owners said before like even though we, we don't maybe see any meaning in the lyrics like he, uh, with the new terrain he made meaning into the lyrics you know after right it, to us, it just seemed like random words, but he tried to make some meaning in it. And this song is also a song where it's just like different parts put together. But it's clear that there's something you can find meaning if you want to in the song. And also, like you, you mentioned, I really love that the part of um, uh, Answer Me Truthfully, Do the Clouds Kiss You? with Maren colored it here? I know they cannot... I, I, that to me, I just see... It. I think he means here, like the clouds are formed like this woman with... Long meringue colored hair. Maybe that's why he's looking up at I, I thought about this now, but when he's in the music video, when he's looking up at the sky all the time. Yeah, I just think yes. I think of you know looking up the, to the clouds and seeing this this woman in the in the clouds that they sing to. Probably not related, but that's you know my connection to it.
4: No, I think it's perfectly related because if the person is like literally above him. Yeah. <laughs> out of reach.
5: Mm-hmm. But maybe
2: he would do be that. In, in the sky? In very many settings, singing many songs, like finding of some spot up, like somewhere in the <laughs> ceiling, and singing it. I don't know. It just seems more yeah, like a, that's just what he does when he performs. Yeah, I a... think
4: I think that's true, and I th- I think maybe the director was like, okay, do more of that.
5: Yeah, I mean that's probably not related. I w- I just thought of that just now, but uh, I just really like the image of the clouds being this woman that he sees the lady in the clouds with meringue-colored hair. I feel like that's the clouds uh, shaped as a woman with long hair, you know. That's what I see in it, but I I just really love that part of the song.
4: And it's interesting that he chose meringue-colored because that is
5: so unusual. Yeah, it's basically white, right? It's
4: it's like white cream-colored, kind of
5: like Mm off-white.
3: I think one of my favorite things about, like, I've never, when it comes to meaning and stuff like that, I've never been very good at deciphering meaning through the lyrics, but I've always found the lyrics incredibly visual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what I find really striking when I listen to the words. Like, I don't know what he's singing about, but I get a lot of visual images in my head.
5: No, I I think that's what he's trying to do as well. He's trying to make us visualize what he's singing. And so I think that's, you know, done with intention.
1: Mm.
2: Do you guys hear my lady first or are you first?
3: I always hear are you. Are you? Yeah. I think that's what I'm saying, right?
2: Yeah. I had to teach myself that. That's why. But now I force myself to hear that every time. <laughs> I think uh, it's just false natural to always start, like, my lady, are you? Da-na-na-na-na. Like, uh, I, yeah.
4: I think that the cadence is like that, and I think that's probably because of the way that it was reversed. Maybe if they had it going the other direction, you would hear it the other way, because that's where the emphasis is. Are you? My lady, are you? Like, that is where he's putting his emphasis, yeah. on the my lady.
2: It's two different questions... In one right, like, are you my lady? Is a different question to my lady, are you? And, and yeah, mm. yeah. So, not more to that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we sold it for you guys. <laughs> um Like, I don't think there is much to it. I just thought it's, it's it sounds nice when sung, and uh, it's easy to remember and sing along to. I like. yeah. And it works. And it works really well.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the vocals definitely have a hook. Yeah.
2: It's one of those songs that could get really annoying if it got way too much radio play, I think. Oh my
7: god, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think
5: a lot of Mii fans are also getting... <laughs> from what I've seen in comments and forums and stuff. people are like, uh, I've had enough of this song, <laughs> so it's been overplayed. So there's amongst. so
4: much repetition in yeah. the song to begin mm. with, and then to hear it repeated over and over, yeah, you get a little bit tired of yeah. hearing the same thing.
5: You do, but
2: that's also why it's a bit of an anthem when they make a comeback show. Like right? that's, you have yeah. to be on that song. That's it's, it's 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 the anthem. We all know this one, and yeah. then we all <sighs> kind of da, na, na, cast remain something at the end. Um, yeah yeah <laughs> and that's uh, it's always funny to see where where does the crowd pick up on those lines that's yeah that's um,
5: when you yeah when you see the crowd shots from you know concerts and stuff you, you see what it's different people are singing see different <laughs> <things>. <laughs> it's different things so it's fun to see and you can see they clearly don't know the lyrics so, yeah just mumble it yeah <laughs> yeah I mean I've been there
4: It's not knowing the lyrics that's important It's well, like the intention behind it It's yeah. like yes I'm here yeah. I want to sing mm-hmm. <laughs> again,
3: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to hear it again <sighs> I'm excited man. to hear it live in context Like with the whole thing yeah. It's going to be great Oh man Just <laughs> you
2: So what's your, uh, what was your initial take on Animals of Many Kinds when you first heard it?
3: I always liked it. It was, I mean, obviously I heard Zookeepers first, so, you know, whenever you hear like a variation of a song that you know, you always expect some level of um, consistency, I guess, in tone, but the tone being so different and being so like, how do I put it, innocent, compared to what zookeepers is because that's such a big song this song does feel like the little baby brother of Mm -hmm. zookeepers but i've always really liked it i've i think quaint is the word that i would use to Mm -hmm. describe it Mm -hmm. like i I just find it pleasant to listen to
4: yeah i feel the same way it's like when i first heard it i was you know delighted because to hear like an earlier version of song that i love so much is great and then the sort of, like, imagery of these animals, like, it's not exactly super cute. Like, some of these lyrics are pretty, like, upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, just, like, bringing animals into a song at all, I love it. Like, I'm gonna love it anyway. But I thought it was very clever and cute and also quaint. That's a perfect word.
5: Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything to add here. I've always liked it. It doesn't it's not as good as Sucubus Boy, obviously, but it's it's a good, you know, B-side song. So, there was a B-side for the special single, by the way. So, it's a it's a good song and it gave us one of their best songs. I uh, really like it.
4: And Leonis did, you know, write this as he intended it to be a children's song, because he was writing a children's book and he wanted to write a song to go with the book, or many songs probably, but... For whatever reason, it didn't work out. And then he had this beautiful song left. So yeah, there's a cool bit of history there.
3: <laughs> like singing the lyrics, the melody to kids and having them sing along with it.
4: But it's not exactly like Itsy Bitsy Spider or something like that. Like it, there's some yeah, kind of I, upsetting thing. I, sh- I struggled
5: to see like what age group is this song for? Like it feels too complicated for like really young kids.
3: But then mainly in the chorus, childish. I think is where I can yeah. hear kids singing. Is like you know, yeah, just like a giraffe. Uh, yeah, but then obviously the lyrics, <laughs> like I don't think kids know what a glitch is.
2: Maybe it was more right. kids from a David Lynch right. universe or something.
3: was well, talking
4: about Saturn in retrograde, so he's got like <laughs> some, you know, like um, yeah, <laughs> astrology stuff and going on in here and. Then these animals that are like eating each other and yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. I I I can tell you like um, you know Imogen Heap, Imogen Heap or Imogen Heap. Imogen, yeah. Yeah, Sorry, Imogen Heap. Sorry, it's (laughs) uh. I can't help but see the Danish in that Imorn. Oh my god! I didn't.
4: I never thought about that.
2: Um, Imogen (laughs) Heap. Yeah, I cannot say that name right. Um, she's um. Made a song called the Happy Song, and it's like developed specifically for very small children. So it is not a, a big pop song that you'd hear on the radio, and and it'll probably drive you mad. Uh, it definitely has in our home, and um, but it works. It's like technically proven that it works on children, and like they will mm. just. We've we've had used it for tantrums. We've used it for, for many things, but like if you compare the lyrics of that song with these, this this is high end Shakespeare. Um, like, right. uh, <laughs> give the happy song by Im- Imogen Heap uh, a, a spin, and and you'll know what I mean. I don't really see this song either uh, fitting into any purpose with little children so that maybe that was the challenge he came into is that it actually takes a very different kind of approach and work to um, to make something that satisfies uh, that specific segment because um, their their needs in music are very different uh, or their wishes for music I guess.
4: And he did actually eventually make um, a song for a children's book because it was like uh, multiple artists contributing to the album. And it was called The Green Flame Forest, I believe. Mm, Yeah. um, It was only in Danish. uh, And it had like an illustrated book with a CD that came with it. Yeah. And yeah, he had a song in there for children. Take it away. If I did, I meant not to. If I said, thought I not. Touching hands with the whiteness of your mouth. Glad inside, I figure this is our place to be. Tall, just like a giraffe, you have to climb to find its head. But if there's a glitch, you're an ostrich. You got your head in the sand. Husky glow. The moon hangs low. Saturn in retrograde. Monkey cage. Dimly lit now late at night. Polar bears swimming in the green collide. They're not safe. Four bright red pairs of eyes. It uses dance to hypnotize. It eats mice, you know. It needs them to grow. It's a tarantula. Tall, just like a giraffe. You have to climb to find its head. But if there's a glitch, you're an ostrich. You got your head in the sand. Bulldogs, they don't see color. Horses, they think they're smaller. Animals of many kinds. I am surrounded by. Bullfrogs, they... Animals of many kinds, I am surrounded by. Tapeworms, they live in your stomach.
2: So, analysis of this song, I don't know if there's much to say.
3: No.
5: <laughs> it's very like, straightforward. I think we've
4: pretty much covered it. I mean, yeah. it's we don't know who the audience actually is. Looking at the lyrics, it's probably something he intended to be for children, and then he kind of, like, twisted it into the sort of, like slightly upsetting lyrics that he tends to write, but who knows? Yeah. Who knows?
3: Shares a lot of DNA with its bigger brother in terms of the music. The
5: song title is I mean, pretty straightforward as well.
3: Yes.
7: Mm -hmm.
5: (laughs) Animals of many kinds. So he basically just like he mentions a lot of animals and I guess what they're doing.
4: It's supposed to be teaching children about animals and and their environment and stuff like that. Mm
5: Mm-hmm. There's definitely parts that are not really for children, like husky glow, the moon hangs low, as you mentioned, Saturn in retrograde, monkey cage, dimly lit, now late at night. Yeah, it just sounds too mature for a child. And to... like a
4: tarantula eating mice, like that's upsetting. And the yeah. red eyes and <laughs> tapeworms tape in your stomach, like, ugh. But then you still have the, the giraffe and the
5: ostrich, and but that's it, cute. But this it, is, you know, Danish They have a different kind of... <laughs> as, we have, as we've discussed before between us, like, Scandinavian and American ways of raising children. Animals eat animals. Mm-hmm.
4: That's true. Like, Danish culture especially does not... Um, shy away from the realities no. of life, especially when, with regard to animals mm-hmm. in the animal kingdom, like they're wild animals, they're going to behave in a certain way. And animals have a, a life cycle and sometimes it's time for them to you know be put down yeah for a number of reasons and like the zoos and in, in denmark sometimes give like demonstrations of autopsies and things like that so children can learn like what does the inside of an animal look like how do these things relate to each other yeah and on the surface like obviously that that's coming from american culture that's upsetting because americans would never ever stand for that kind of thing but i also grew up on a farm where i saw animal death all the time so personally it's not a big deal to me yeah it's realities culturally it's awful for us to imagine that
3: culturally we have like warthogs and meerkats being friends (laughs) (laughs) in the uk i mean disney
5: (laughs) i mean yeah you have Bambi and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah,
4: exactly. I mean, they, how many children are like traumatized by Bambi's mother dying?
2: I mean, that's such an old reference. We, we're all t- t- talking about Mufasa now. Right, that's I so mean, oh, yeah. When I was yeah.
3: a kid, I thought meerkats and warthogs were good friends. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: right. Yeah, because I, I mean, you know, kids, kids need to know the, the realities because if not, they they're going to struggle to cope when they lose their pets, you know, it's sure. it's better that they know the reality of life you know, instead of, you know, yeah, them, I no, think it's weren't.
4: healthy to tell children the truth and not yeah. like sugarcoat it in certain circumstances.
2: So, zookeepers boy, animals of many kinds, we're kind of getting to an end here. So any last thoughts how do you feel after we've gone talked about it for a while now? I mean, I
5: don't think I've changed my opinion on the song. I've always loved it and I always will. So I don't think uh, what we've talked about it has changed anything. But uh, it's been a while since I listened to the song properly. So I might go and have a listen again after this.
4: I think it's really, really cool to like incorporate these, this knowledge that we've got now about how the song came to be into, you know, what it has become. Because when you look at it as as just a standalone song, you look at it on the surface level, you don't get all this extra insight into its creation process. And I think that misses a lot of stuff. And all the things that you were mentioning, Thomas, I think are are just so valuable beyond just a surface reading. And so I feel like I have a deeper understanding of its nature now than I did before.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely got a newfound perspective on the lyrics and stuff just from hearing you guys talk about it um but yeah i mean my thoughts are still the same i love the song so much it's technically impressive it's got amazing melodies and i think there's a good reason why it's really hard to find a good tab online for this song
2: (laughs) Mm, yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i've said this before um, but I'll say it again. This is the only song I've ever overheard my mom, my old mother, <laughs> sing along to. Without, I don't think she was even really aware of it. It was just on the radio, and obviously she, her brain caught onto the chorus. Um, I don't know if she even knows she sang along to a Muse song, or I don't <laughs> think she knows what band it was, and I don't think she knows that I'm into that band. And I do this sort of podcast for that band. I like, I don't know if she's uh, made that connection, but uh, that's one of the things I will always think of when I hear the song. Now it's like overhearing my mom just going around singing, "Are you, are you, my lady, are you?" in the in the kitchen. Um, yeah. That's sweet. I, it it didn't it didn't <laughs> last very long, but it stuck with me that she picked up on that. Yeah. So um, that's, that's really many cute. years yeah. ago now, but yeah so thank you for making this far in our show we'll be back next Monday with another great track so follow us by subscribing to the podcast in your podcasting app of choice you can follow MuX on social media where the handle is Info or the website mux.info, where you can find any and everything you need to know about Mu. Till next time, bye. bye bye
1: That's really high, My baby, I, dream. I, dream. I dream.